Welcome to Conversations with Coley, where we have conversations about subjects we think about but often don't speak about. My name is Nicole Miller, and I'm the author of this book series, A Through Z, Guide to Raising a Good Human, a series I wrote to help in the communication process. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Coley. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Ryan Crane, author of the book, Gravel Roads, where he highlights his adventures around the globe that led him to healing. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for having me. So first, we're going to start with our icebreaker. In your travels, what was the most unusual food you tried? Oh, interesting. So I've gotten this question before, and I have to be, I have to be really honest. I didn't try a lot of crazy food. I was really um, strict and disciplined with my, with my diet, my food. But I will tell you something I drank that was the most interesting um, so it was this homemade um, moonshine in Eastern Europe called Rakia. And it was disgusting. <laughs> it tasted like nail polish remover, what I imagine nail polish remover might taste like. Um, I was told that locals eat it with their lunch, with salads. You know, they'll have a salad and they'll sip on Rakia. Uh, during lunch, but I, when I tried it, I was just, I, I, I almost spit it out. So to me, that was the most interesting thing I ever tried. <laughs> yeah, and they have that for lunch. Wow. <laughs> they, have it, they have it for lunch. That's the part that really blew me away. I was like, how do you drink this every day? For I, just, I was blown away. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. So tell everybody about yourself. Sure. So um, I was born and raised in a really small town in Oklahoma in the Midwest. West. I was very sheltered. I didn't leave North America until I was 30 years old. And I just took my first trip abroad after a layoff at 30. And uh, just to clear my head, I had I was still getting paid a severance and just took this random trip abroad. And it just completely changed the trajectory of my life. I just I felt like I'd been living with a blindfold on. And one thing led to another, which led to another, which um, it, I detail in the, the book that I just recently published, but eventually I just sold everything, quit everything and traveled around the world for an entire year. I was, just wanted to see it all before I, you know, my time comes to an end on this earth. And, and I did, I traveled around the world for an entire year changed me and my outlook on myself and the world immensely. And now I'm living down in a small, tiny town in Mexico on the Pacific coast. So that's a very short version of me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what prompted you to travel the world? So um, initially it was, I got laid off. I had a relationship end abruptly and I just wanted to take some time off to just explore and just kind of see uh, it initially, it was just supposed to be a one month trip. And I actually got broken up with um, my relationship ended while I was abroad. And I actually ended up coming home early. It was really devastating. I was supposed to be gone for a month and I came home a week early because I was just miserable. And then a few months later, I actually I was in a really deep, dark place. I was struggling mentally. And I just told myself, I need to go somewhere. I need to do something different. Like this isn't working. And I took this random trip to Boston 
uh, I caught this really random smile on my face. I hadn't smiled in months and months on end. And I said, wow, like this is what it takes to get through the day. I'm going to keep traveling. And so I did, I kept traveling and I kept going a little more out of my comfort zone, a little more out of my comfort zone. And I took this, uh, um, one of those random trips was a trip to Southeast Asia, just completely on a whim. I had ended up finding a new job a few months later, just took this random trip to Asia. And I met some backpackers who said they were doing long-term travel. And I'm like, long-term travel, like, what's that? I had never heard of it before. And I came home from that trip and just, it set in motion this next dot that I was moving towards. And a year and a half after that, I had sold everything and I was on my own indefinite year around the world. So that's kind of started with grief and moved into healing. I had healed, uh, met some backpackers who opened my eyes to a different world and just kept progressing, kept progressing. So that's kind of another shortened version of it. Yeah, that's awesome. So for people who say that that's an outlandish goal to travel the world, what do you say to that? So I say everyone's different. Everyone has their own goals in life. You know, if my goal in life is to see every country in the world, great. If it's not for you, I won't have any uh, reservations about that. I feel like we have all are on our own journeys and we all get to create our own meaning and our own purpose. And what's good for one isn't good for all. So I, I say, you know, yeah, it may be outlandish. It may be extreme. But for me, I just had this deep, deep burning desire to see the world. And yeah. I, I recognized that it was extreme um, and it wasn't for everyone. But for me, it's what I needed and what I wanted. Yeah, I love it. So how was the experience of traveling helpful for your mental health? So for me, it was everything. Um, it truly, truly saved my life. And when I was at my lowest of lows, I needed something to cling on to some form of hope. And I, I think in my lowest moments, that's what, what I was lacking. I was lacking some hope. And I think yeah. that's what people who are struggling with mental health issues and depression and they just don't see that light at the end of the tunnel I, I had lost my job I had my relationship ended I was living back with my parents like everything that had defined me was gone yeah and there was no hope there and so for me when I caught that smile on my face in Boston I was like wow there's just tiny sliver of hope that I just clinged on to and it, it worked somehow in the most mysterious of ways it worked. So for me, traveling for my mental health was everything. Maybe it won't work for someone else, but yeah. it really was what I, what, what I needed to cling on to. Yeah. So when you were traveling and you were kind of struggling, you caught that first little smile. Describe for us what it was like every time you went somewhere new for you and, and how that kind of helped in your emotional state. Oh, uh, that's a really good question. So every time I landed in a new country, I got this overwhelming rush of endorphins in my body, just this dopamine high. And it lasted for about 24 hours, just this intense rush of emotions. And then after the 24 hours, you know, I'd settle back down, the emotions would settle. And then what would happen is I'd start to my mind would start to notice the differences of where I am. And that was powerful to see the differences because I'm from a really small city in a really small state in the Midwest of America. And so I would see the differences for the next 
24 hours. And then after that ended, I would start to see the similarities. Like, oh, wow, okay. So I saw all the differences between how other people are living, different cultures, different languages, different currencies. But now I started to see after day three, day four, day five, I started to see the similarities. And it, it was a game changer for me. Yeah. I realized, you know, we're actually all the same. You know, we may speak different languages. We may, may have different wages, different currencies, but like, we're all the same. And I would come home from these trips and just a little piece of me would change. And I would slowly get a little more disconnected from my friends and family. It was a little more harder to relate to them, but like something was changing inside of me. And so to me, it was really powerful to see how deeply privileged I am on a global scale. Like I know we have issues in America, of course, there's a lot of people struggling, but on a global scale, I realized how truly lucky and privileged I am. And it just, it changed me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you compare some of the things that maybe you took for granted from being, you know, maybe raised the way we were here in the States as compared to other countries? Absolutely. So one of the first things that jumps out to me are just is just money and wages and currency and how truly blessed we are to live in America. And I know I live in Mexico now, but I think I took for granted uh, growing up in America in a first world developed nation that speaks English. You know, a lot of people around the world learn English to feed their family. And most Americans don't even know another language and are unwilling to even learn another language but yet so many people are learning it just to feed their family um i also met time and time again individuals who had master's degrees and phds overseas who were living in second and third world countries or developing countries and they had high level jobs electrical engineers, bankers, things of that nature, doctors, and they were making the equivalent of 20,000 US dollars per year. And, and I only have a bachelor's degree. And I just took for granted how truly privileged I was to be able to grow up in the United States of America from a wage and a currency perspective. And it's yeah. something I'll never take for granted again. Like, um, I think there was this this gap between okay i i know intuitively how blessed i am but then over here to actually see it in person yeah. the reality of theory and reality was staggering to me when i started going to these countries that were very different so mm -hmm. uh, that's probably the one thing i would the biggest takeaway for me yeah so how many countries did you end up going to so on my year abroad, uh, on that crazy wild one year journey, I made it to 34 different countries overall, uh, including that year and before leading up to that journey, I I've made it to 52 total. Wow. And how long do you <laughs> typically stay? You know, that's a good question. Um, on my year abroad, I was in the beginning, I was barreling through countries, uh, two, three days, I would go to one and then move on to the next. I was just that dopamine high was very powerful for me. And I wanted to see the next and the next. Eventually, I really I got burned out. I wasn't 
diving deep into the culture and I wasn't learning much about the culture. By the end of that journey, I was staying in places for two, three, and four weeks because I was really getting a better grasp of the people who lived there and I was having more authentic experiences. So it ranged from two or three days to two or three weeks and just kind of based on how I, I how I felt in the moment. Yeah. And do you think that um, by spending that time and like really diving into the culture, it kind of helped put into a different perspective things you were struggling with? One thousand percent. As much fun and as much of a rush as barreling through the countries is, I just wasn't learning much about the culture or the country I was in. But the longer I stayed in a place, the more powerful experiences I had. For example, um, in Lagos, Portugal, I got invited for um, to eat dinner, Christmas dinner, at the mayor's house. Wow! And in New Zealand, I stumbled across a Maori haka dance during a funeral. Um, just in Buenos Aires, Argentina, I was invited to a barbecue at a local's house. Like just very authentic experiences with other people that I wouldn't have had otherwise had I not stayed longer. So staying longer digging in is very powerful yeah that's really awesome so what did people think when you were like observing their funeral and did, were they very welcoming and sh- and willing to share yeah so that funeral i stumbled upon was completely unexpected i was just kind of meandering around this little town in new zealand and just completely stumbled upon it by accident. But so I just kind of, to be respectful, stayed on the fringes. I didn't want to, um, you know, uh, infringe upon them in any way. So, but I just kind of stayed on the fringes and observed it and no one, no one bothered me. No one said anything. But what I found around the world is almost everyone is just very inviting, whether it's a funeral, whether it's dinner, whether it's a birthday party, I got invited into people's homes time and time again. And they were so accommodating and welcoming to just invite me in to uh, see a little slice of their life. And so if you're respectful to them, they're usually going to be respectful back to you. Wow, that's awesome. So how did that affect you in your growth process, having that, those experiences? Uh, Nicole, it, um, it changed the very fabric of who I am. And words don't adequately describe it, although I will try. It's, it's very <laughs> hard, but um, I just, all of these experiences I had time and time again really just opened me up to in my opinion that people are inherently good like yes we are flawed we have issues we have things we're all working on we're all growing but I just realized in my opinion that we are all good at our deepest core yes there are some extremists out there but human beings want to help each other on on a inherent basis like we want to help each other out we want to be nice to each other and seeing i think you froze ryan it's a bad picture of it to go into these countries in the middle east and india and south america and to see the goodness just really shifted something inside of me and but i didn't notice the change until i got back to my tiny town in oklahoma oh wow i unfortunately heard a lot of uh, negative comments or biased comments or even sometimes some outright hateful comments and I realized 
how sheltered I really was growing up. And I'll just give you, I'll give you a really potent example for me. Mm-hmm. This, this was really hard for me personally, but just I'll be as authentic as I can. So I had a really powerful experience in the Middle East, hearing the call to prayer, seeing how devout the Muslims are, praying five times a day, they don't drink, just a very powerful experience for me. Uh, I came home after my year abroad and I was showing some friends and family members uh, videos of the call to prayer in the Middle East and I was sharing with them how powerful it was for me. And I said something along the lines of, I think every American should hear the call to prayer in a Muslim country at least once in their lives, you know, just really to open up their minds and eyes to that culture. And mm-hmm. someone said, oh, those towel heads are just probably wanting to blow us up. Oh, gosh. And it just shook me to my core. And I just, it took every ounce of restraint not to blow a gasket but I just I realized how much I had changed in that moment and how like the place I grew up how um biased it can be sometimes and so I I know not everyone's like that and not everyone says those things but I was like wow like okay like this is the place I grew up in and what I used to resonate with but now like really was different and so that was a very potent example for me yeah i think that it's very important that when we you know make ourselves a part of something that we don't know and see it for our own selves it changes the perspective of what the extreme is doing yeah exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and even there are even examples of my own country, the United States of America. Um, you know, for example, there's a lot of speculation or there's a lot of uh, warnings out there from from the government. Like, hey, don't visit X, Y or Z country because of X, Y and Z happening. Mm-hmm. Well, a, a lot of people don't realize that other countries around the world have these same warnings and travel advisories for the United States for gun violence and racial tension, like don't visit the United States. So like, it's not the yeah. almighty be- beacon of safety either. You know, it goes right. both ways. Right. So it's very un- uncomfortable to see that like, like oh wow, like <laughs> my home isn't perfect either. <laughs> right. And I think because we live here and we don't get out and we don't experience that, we don't notice that until we leave and we spend some yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, like like I genuinely met people who I would ask, like, hey, have you ever visited the United States or do you want to? And, and people genuinely would tell me, like, no, I have no desire. It's too unsafe, too much racial tension, too much gun violence. And, like, they had no desire to visit or live there. And, like, yeah. me growing up and before I turned 30, I thought everyone wanted to live in America. I thought everyone wanted to visit. Like, no, it's not yeah. the case. There are a, a lot of people who don't. Yeah, absolutely. And things that are okay by our FDA standards in other countries are absolutely not allowed. So we don't get to see that because we sometimes don't leave that comfort zone of ours. We never leave it. Exactly. And so Mm -hmm. it just, it was very eye-opening, the whole whole thing and just really opened my eyes. Yeah. Can you share with us... um, maybe a experience that you had in a in a country where you kind of lived outside your comfort zone did you ever rough it somewhere what was that like 
<laughs> Definitely. You're, you're asking really good questions. I love this. Oh, um, so I'll start with the roughing it um, part. So I did rough it in one place. I did spontaneously camp out on the beach in a small town in Portugal called Nazaré. It's uh, known for the biggest waves on the planet, sometimes being over 100 feet high. Oh, and so nice. I just spontaneously camped out on the beach one night and just really roughed it. And I was just like, you know what? I want to do something out of my comfort zone. And just I decided to sleep on the beach. Um, back to the comfort, the uncomfortable question, the second part of your question. Mm -hmm. The most uncomfortable place I visited, just in terms of how different it was from what I was used to. And to be honest, the most challenging place I visited was India. India was single-handedly the most difficult place I visited, but it also changed me the most as a human being. Yeah. So nothing was easy there. Nothing. And the poverty was abject on a level I had never seen before. You know, I had seen crippling generational poverty and many places around the world, but India was a game changer and I can just never see the world the same again. And I will admit it was uncomfortable for me. It was hard, it was gut-wrenching, but it was also the most powerful experience I could have ever gone through. So that's why I'm such a big advocate for getting out of your comfort zone and going to places that challenge you because Yes, the resorts on the Caribbean are nice. Yes, Hawaii and Paris are beautiful, but you're not really gonna change much. You're not really gonna see how the rest of the world really works or lives by going mm -hmm. to these places. And so I'm a huge advocate for going to the places that challenge you and that are different because for me, they changed me <laughs> immensely. And so India was that place for me that was the furthest outside of my comfort zone yeah i i have only seen on tv you know some of the places in india amazing race affords us to be able to mm -hmm. see stuff like that if you don't travel yeah. but i've always really felt drawn to actually go put my eyes on that feel what that feels like and and kind of get down with the people who live there every day that is their every day yes every day and it there's a billion people in that country you know that's what 18 percent of the world 20 percent. <laughs> like it's just like asia and africa those are the places where three quarters of the population of the world lives and so like by avoiding asia and africa you're not really seeing how most of the world really lives but mm -hmm. it, it was the most powerful parts for me wow that's awesome so Talk to me about what you discovered about privilege and what privilege means. Oh, what a potent, what a potent question. Wow. <laughs> wow. So privilege to me is just an unearned circumstance, something that is completely something that is attained or given to you, but that is not earned. And I never re really realized how blessed and privileged I was growing up. I think I knew it. Like, I think, you know, we're taught it, but we're really not. It really doesn't sink in until you really leave. And so privilege to me is just 
A, being able to even go and travel the world. Like I didn't realize how privileged I was just by being able to travel. Like mobility is such mm -hmm. a privilege in, in and of itself because most people won't even leave their home country. Mm -hmm. And so mobility is such a pr privilege in and of itself. And then going and seeing these places that are very eye-opening and very challenging and realizing like, man, I did nothing to earn my circumstances. I did nothing other than just to be born in a clean, developed, safe, relatively safe English-speaking country. And to me, the privilege was never more evident than going to these very polarizing places. And so at first I felt guilty. I felt shame. Uh, those, those were my authentic feelings. Guilt and mm -hmm. shame were the first feelings that kind of came over me. Like, man, I, I did nothing. Like, why am I so blessed? And, and they aren't like, it's not fair. Mm -hmm. And then after the shame and guilt, I don't want to say subsided because they didn't go away, but after those feelings came about, then I just felt this deep empathy and just um, gratefulness for my life, you know, and it made me appreciate my existence more. So, you know, even when I was struggling with my mental health issues and my depression, like it's like, it just made it pale in comparison. Like, who am I to, get upset over a silly breakup or a job loss like I can go find another job you know I can start dating again but um, so I think having the choice um, I had the choice to use travel to heal I had the choice to do certain things a lot of people don't have a choice they are stuck right. and it's it's a it's a question and a topic i want to dive more into for sure like because it, it, it could we could talk about it for hours and i don't know it all <laughs> i'm <laughs> probably not the most qualified to talk about it but, but to me it's those unearned circumstances and it really just put into perspective for me like okay i don't have to feel bad or guilty about it you know my life is my life but what can i do to give back you know recognition yeah. is po powerful you know, I, I think um, a lot of people, unfortunately, probably never recognize how privileged they are. And so once I recognized it, I could accept it and then like, okay, how can I do better? How can I give back? How can I look at my life and other people's lives through a little more, through a lens of empathy? And so what actually ended up, ended up happening was, yes, I had this empathy and gratitude for those people who don't have a choice and are really struggling, but it also shifted into this empathy and gratitude for people who are struggling back in America because the poverty is different in America. You know, usually mm -hmm. it stems from mental health issues or addiction, substance mm -hmm. abuse. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that crippling poverty in India, generational poverty that had nothing to do with substance abuse or addiction it actually carried over to that other polarizing type of poverty in america and i just had this deep empathy for both when i realized i actually know nothing about the world i'm this really small really unwise individual who am i to judge anyone for how they live their lives and mm -hmm. when i was going through my struggles i didn't have the added challenge of homelessness or addiction so i can't relate 
And so it carried over to both sides. And I just, I try and empathize with everyone, no matter what walk of life they're in. Yeah, that is powerful. That is powerful because you're right. Some people are just born into poverty. It, there's no, yeah. there's no rhyme or reason for it. It's just how it is. And that's the hand that they're given. And it's yeah. up to them to make their own destiny at that point. So yeah. who are we to judge them? Because they didn't ask for that. I'm sure if they were given a choice, it would have been a different, they would have mm -hmm. chose differently for themselves, maybe. Yeah. yeah, That's amazing. So talk about what made you write the book and let's talk about the book a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate the question. So after the year abroad and even before the year around the world i had no intention of writing a book it was never an ambition for me it was never a goal it was never hey i want to go see the world and write a book about it that was never even on my radar um, i will say around month eight or nine of my journey i would post updates on social media about every two or three months and around month eight or nine i started getting feedback from my community of like hey you should write a book this is really interesting you know i'm really intrigued but i kind of just brushed it off as pretentious unnecessary you know no one would want to read a book about a privileged privileged white man traveling the world you know didn't think it was necessary um i come home and i just really struggled to share my stories with my friends and family. They just wanted to know my favorite place, maybe my quickly, my quickly, my favorite story, and then they would move on. And I, I really struggled to relate to my community. I felt very disconnected. I felt very, felt like a foreigner in my hometown. It was a very intense uh, bout of reverse culture shock. And I had changed so much in that year that when I came home, it was overwhelming. I felt very isolated and confused. And so I actually just started writing to process my emotions and to share my stories because a blank page will always listen, you know? And so right. I just started with that because I had so many, so much more to say than most people wanted to hear. And eventually people's eyes would glaze over and you know, most people, a lot of people in my hometown didn't even don't even have a passport and they never leave the country for a wide variety of reasons. So it was hard to share my stories without coming across as like arrogance or so eventually I just stopped sharing them, which was gut wrenching. So once I had my first draft, um, it took me about a year to write my first draft. But again, it was no I had no intention of turning it into a book. It had just turned into this really raw, unpolished draft of like 400 pages. Like that's how much I wow. had to say. Like, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> it was this deeply raw 400 page messy. There were no chapter titles. There was no time. It was just 400 pages of my raw, authentic thoughts. And I had actually started looking for uh, jobs when I got home, but it was right when the pandemic had started. So I actually had applied for, I, I kept track. It was around 250 job applications and I landed 11 in-person interviews, 11. Wow. And every, every single one either said, no, we've moved on with other candidates or because of COVID we've frozen the job, everyone. And I was just like, is the universe trying to tell me something? Like what's going on here? <laughs> 
And my girlfriend at the time was like, no, you're, you're meant for something different. You're meant for something more like you're meant to inspire. You have this first draft. I know an editor. Why don't I connect you guys? I connected with this editor and I immediately within five minutes of talking to her knew she was the real deal. And I, I was like, wow, she knows her stuff. And I still wasn't on board with writing the book. But what I told myself was, if I move forward with this, I need, uh, before I give her my, my draft, it needs to be cleaned up. So I wrote an entire second draft from the first. And I just really cleaned it up for her. And because I knew if I was going to give it to someone like her, it needed to be in much better shape. So um, I was still searching for jobs throughout all of this writing the second draft. After the last one said no, I went through all, all the stages of the interview process. They moved on. I think it was that 11th one. I said, you know what? I'm going all in. Like, I'm just, I'm just tired of the no's. I'm, I'm just going to make my own way. Mm-hmm. So I had my second draft. I gave it to my editor. And we just went on this journey together. And it took another two years. Uh, it took three years in total to write the book. But a second draft turned into a third draft. A third draft turned into a fourth draft. The fourth draft turned into the finished book. But like, I just said, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm going all in. And I did. And I finally have the published book. <laughs> I love right it. Here. I love I'm it. So proud of it. It's it's so personal to me. And it just it started with this deeply personal catharsis. And it there were a lot of no's and rejections in there, but I just I trudged forward and I kept going. And so that's kind of like a, a how it all started. <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. So with all those no's and all that, you know holding you kind of holding you back maybe were you ever doubting yourself like man maybe I should just go work at a regular place were you ever like wanting to give up all the time <laughs> I constantly wanted to give up Nicole um I actually did briefly get a part-time job um just to see because I, I was just so so doubtful and so fearful of just putting my whole life out there and I, I really didn't want to because I had to open up some uh, dark boxes again if I really wanted to share my my story it required opening up some boxes that I really didn't want to open up so that was really difficult for me I ended up getting a part-time job just to because I thought that's what I should do mm-hmm. and I immediately knew it wasn't right for me I it was not the right decision. And I, I ended up resigning after two weeks, or I'm sorry, two months. Um, so Kayla, my girlfriends would find me crying in the corner on the floor sometimes because I just wanted to give up. Yeah. It felt so daunting. It felt so scary. Well, and your I dreams, mean, your dreams are being kind of crushed in that moment, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I wanted to give up constantly, Nicole, but, um, Somehow, some way, I just kept going. <laughs> it, was, it was the ultimate emotional and mental challenge. Yeah. I have not read the book yet in its entirety, but I skimmed through what I could find on Amazon. And I oh, nice. I can't wait to actually read the whole thing because I'm an aspiring traveler. I want to hear somebody's perspective. You are putting it in all the ways that I feel I would view it as I was experiencing it. So I, I'm excited to read this book. So with the book, are you planning on 
creating any programs to kind of educate people about the things that you learned in traveling? Yeah, so not right now. Right now, I'm just going all in on marketing the book itself to get more readers. Um, mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of opportunity to diverge into different paths with this. You know, do I want to go the the mental health route and really focus on that and um, as, as, uh, giving people hope where maybe they've lost it, or do I want to go more the travel route mm -hmm. and inspire people that way? Or maybe there's something in the middle of there yeah, too. Right. So yeah, I haven't figured that out yet. I, I think there's a lot of options. I'm um, about to start working with a marketing consultant so she can help guide me down that path as well. But right now, it's only been out for two months and I'm my main focus is just getting readers and reviews. Awesome. Well, I'm going to be one of your readers. I'm going to give you a review just because, Thank like you. I said, I when I read the the bare minimum that I read, I was like, I have to talk to you. We kept getting shuffled in the time zones. I'm like, I have yeah. to talk to him. I want to know his experience. I I want to know if it is exactly what I keep playing up in my head. Is yeah. going to travel and experiencing all these cultures, is that going to grow me into the person that I want to become? Absolutely, yes, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't wait I, to read I it. I think so, yes. <laughs> Your support would mean the world to me, so that would be amazing. <laughs> Yes, and I hope everyone listening um, is here to support as well. So talk about um, your social media contacts, where people can find you, how they can keep following your adventures. What's 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 the future holding for you? Are you going to travel some more? Yeah, good question. So. I do have a Facebook and Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is Ryan Crane underscore zero five. Uh, we do have a, my girlfriend and I just started a, an Instagram for the book specifically. And that, that is under the, the name Gravel Roads Memoir. And that's just, we, we put quotes up and videos and photos from my actual journey with the actual people who I write about in the book. So like those, those people are coming to life because I use their real names and their real people and real experiences. So it's been really cool to see that. Um, I do have a website, Ryan Crane dash author.com. Those are probably the best ways to uh, keep up to date with me for the future. I am really enjoying reveling and just being in one place right now so i'm calling a really small town on the pacific coast of mexico my home and i'm really just focused on uh, marketing the book but also on my free time I'm, I'm learning how to surf and i'm getting better at my spanish and immersing myself in the culture here i think travel will always be a huge part of my soul but i'm actually really enjoying just being in one place right now and <laughs> grounding and because what I did was extreme. I recognize that. And so I'm really enjoying nesting. Um, as far as the future, I really would like to write a second book because um, I won't give away any spoilers, but I end this first book with a really good opportunity for a second book. And you'll know why when, when you get to the end. So I ended at a really good spot for like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Like I want more. And so... Yeah. I'm really hoping that the first book can provide enough of a financial income to write the second. So that's kind of the hope and what the future is looking for right now. 
Awesome. I think that's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait to see and I can't wait to read. Um, so do you have any final thoughts that you would like to? Ooh, man, final thoughts. Yes. Okay. So I will, I will briefly give my final thoughts on the title of the book. So the title of the book is Gravel Roads. Gravel is a play on words of grief and travel. Gravel. So my final thoughts will be on those two topics. So grief, if you're struggling, if you have lost hope, please reach out to someone, anyone. Someone will be willing to listen. Someone will be willing to help. I know it's hard. When I was going through my heavy battle grief, I didn't, I was ashamed to talk to anyone. I was scared. I hid it from everyone because yeah. I didn't want anyone to know. Like it was the opposite of what I should have done. Just reach out to someone if you're struggling, please. Um, from the travel perspective, I would encourage people to always go and do what you want because that is, you know, I'll never tell someone how to travel. You know, what's good for one isn't good for all, but I always would like to encourage people to go somewhere that's a little outside your comfort zone for your next vacation or at least do a, a combination of both. So if you're gonna go to the all-inclusive resort in Mexico for a week, maybe do three or four days in the resort and then three or four days in an authentic town or a big city like Mexico City. So really kind of get a little bit of both. You have the relaxation, but you also have the culture and the authentic experience too. So really getting out of your comfort zone. You don't have to go all out, you know, right off the bat. If you've never left America, you probably don't want to go straight to an Asian or African country. That may be a little too intense, but like slowly easing your way a little more, a little more out of your comfort zone, in my opinion, can be very powerful instead of just the constant relaxation. So that's my biggest piece of advice and final thoughts on that so <laughs> i agree 100 when i went to the bahamas i met this little girl who inspired me to be a better person she, we were in one of those shops walking around she grabbed our hand and she was educating us about some of the things that they made and what they meant to wow. their culture and it was so powerful it was like wow these people really like take their lifestyle and where they're living and they put pride into it by making things that they can sell to people like myself. I think that's amazing. So yeah, absolutely. One thing about the grief, because you're a male, is do you feel that our society sometimes when you're going through a mental health struggle or you're, you're grieving, do you feel like you have to show up in a different way and you can't authentic? just be in your grief personally from my experience yes that is how I felt um, I grew up in a family that really didn't ever talk about our emotions we didn't really express our emotions um, it wasn't normal to talk about them so for me it was a very foreign concept to speak openly and authentically about what we are actually feeling and I do think there is a larger societal context with that too, especially from a male's perspective. You know, we're just expected to be tough and get through it and, mm -hmm. and you know, just move on, you know, you know, this macho attitude and like, oh, it's just a silly breakup. There's plenty of other 
you know, fish in the sea. So yeah, I do think there is a larger societal context of, of men just moving on with their lives and being tough. But I, I think as I've grown, grown older, I've really just valued um, being authentic with my emotions and how I'm feeling, truly feeling in the moment. And I now have found that like, that's what I seek out in friendships now. I was like, I need an emotional depth and an emotional connection now. Like I used to just be that person who could go to the bar and talk about sports and stay on the surface. And that, that would be fine for me. And, and that's okay if that's, that's you. But for me, that's not what I want anymore out of a friendship and a relationship. I, I need that emotional connection. And uh, so I'm not a parent and I've made the decision to not have kids in this lifetime. But if I did have kids, I would encourage them to just be hyper aware of your emotions. Don't hide them. Male, female, doesn't matter. Yeah some anywhere in between like tell me how you're really feeling if you're struggling i'm here for you i won't judge you so yeah i i do think there needs to be especially from a male perspective maybe a little more openness to share how you're really feeling yeah and an acceptance in that sharing for sure yeah. so what do you think that we can do as people as a whole in the world what can we do to do better to make it more comfortable for people Oh man, you're asking some really powerful questions. Um, <laughs> I wish there is an easy, simple answer for that. And I don't think there is, but I think just maybe making it more normalized, more acceptable, less shameful. You know, when people go on vents on Facebook or they vent to you in person <clears throat> and, and or whatever it may be, just just listening, having this empathetic heart in mind to just listen and not judge and, and not just say, oh, you just need to start dating again, or you just need to go have a drink or, you know, just really like, okay, like I hear you. I can't understand it, but thank you for sharing that with me. And just having more of an empathetic mind and heart to just listen instead of like solving the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, hey, this is, you know, go do X, Y, and Z. You know, no, actually, like for me what really helped was just sitting in some stillness and giving myself space to listen instead of just fixing the problem so I think maybe normalizing and accepting like hey thank you for sharing that with me I don't have the answers but I'm here I'm here for you if you want to listen if, if you need someone to listen to so again that's not, maybe not the best answer but no I think it's it could great. be a start yeah, I think it's a great starting point because like you said, maybe yeah. we we try to do too much fixing instead fixing, of just yeah. being empathetic. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. the overall lesson of this conversation is really going into our relationships with people, less surface, more empathy. And I think that we can see a lot of good changes. Yeah, I resonate with that very strongly. That That's a really good way to summarize it. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for being on my show and sharing your book with us and your travel with us. And I can't wait to see what else you have for us for in the future. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for your time. Yeah. If you liked this and other episodes, please click subscribe, like, and share so others can enjoy them too. Thank you so much for listening.